127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Mark. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. Uh, particularly a warm welcome if you're visiting. We're all here with family and friends. It's great to have you here. Um, I'd like, just as I pray, just to read a, a verse or two from the book of 1 Corinthians that we'll be looking at tonight. Um, we don't need to look it up, but it's where the Apostle Paul talks about preaching. And this is his prayer, and this is my prayer for us this morning. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Father, we pray that that would be true for us today, that we'd hear your voice, and that it would be your wisdom speaking to us. Amen. Great, well, um, you'll remember back in January, we started the year looking at this verse for the year. There's still some cards available on the way out, if you want to remind yourself of it. And because we've got a kind of stopgap for one week before we start the new series in the book of Abraham... I wanted to think of a passage that would link to what we did back in January, but come at it from a slightly different angle um, to remind us of some of the truths we looked at in that wonderful uh, proverb. And uh, in light of that, we've chosen Psalm 127 because in many ways it says the same thing, but in a different way. And I hope and pray it will be helpful for us. Um, And so as we start, I want to give us a um, a little one, two, and a three. These are just words of introduction to help frame this uh, amazing psalm. The first thing... One little observation. I've just spent a bit of time this week. I took a bit of time out to go for a walk in the countryside in the sunshine, just to reflect on a number of things. And as I was spending a bit of time thinking about the church here, one observation that I would make is I'm aware there are a lot of people hurting at the moment. And that was reflected in Mark's prayer. There are a lot of people hurting. Uh, There's a lot of health issues. There's a lot of mental health issues. There's a lot of people for whom different relationships are very strained. Uh, Just this last week, I've had conversations with Quite a few in the church who've feeling the burden of a wider family and those relationships and the burden that brings. Uh, Some facing difficult situations of employment. There is a lot of people hurting. That's just an observation, and I suspect you would agree with me. Two two little conversations. Um, I went down to London earlier this week to get my visa for heading off to Nigeria shortly, and uh, I got on the five-something train home um, from Malibone, it was absolutely rammed, as it always is, so there was nowhere to sit. I was standing in the aisle, uh, along with, it seemed, the rest of the train. Um, I was trying to do some reading, but it wasn't very fruitful, so I ended up eavesdropping on conversations around me. I was struck, if I was to sort of summarize the conversations, I was really struck by just how driven people were. There was one person who had two mobile phones in front of them and a laptop. They were on one phone talking to someone, business call, they were texting or emailing on a phone and trying to work on a project on their laptop. It's extraordinary. 
Um, I know that some people can multitask, but that was really extraordinary. But there was a sense of the drivenness and the busyness of people, even at the end of a busy day, still frantically working. And we'll come back to that. The second conversation was a couple of weeks ago. Um, Steph and I were somewhere, and we ended up sort of um, on one part of Oxford and uh, Marston, and I got my hair cut. I was talking to this guy, James, as he was cutting my hair. He asked me what I did for a living. I explained that I worked for a church, and he was quite intrigued by this. And so we had a really good conversation. He didn't really understand um, a lot. But as we got talking, it struck me that here was a guy who was desperately searching for meaning in his life, but I'm really convinced searching in the wrong place. And uh, we've had a bit of dialogue since, actually. I got in touch with him, and uh, I want to try and stay in touch and continue those conversations. But the two conversations summarize a kind of a drivenness and an emptiness of the world around us. They were two just very ordinary situations, but two conversations nonetheless. And three little assumptions I suspect you'd agree with me on. I doubt there's anyone here who would say, I don't want my life to count. I just don't care about my life. We all want our lives to count. I suspect there's no one here who doesn't want to make the most of every day. And there was a challenge earlier about using the time that God has given. And because of that, we've all got to make daily decisions. How am I going to use my time to further the purpose for which I think my life exists? So one observation, two conversations, three little assumptions. But use that as a bit of a frame to come to Psalm 127. Now, this is one of 15 psalms in the Bible that are called the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 through to Psalm 134. It's a little collection of psalms. And these were psalms that were sung by God's people as they went up, they ascended to Jerusalem to worship, hence why they're called the Psalms of Ascent. But significantly, these psalms were sung or spoken or prayed in the context of worship. We often think of worship as maybe the songs that I sing in church or the hour and a half, two hours on a Sunday morning in church. That's my worship, and then the rest of the life is mine. But if we look at worship across the Bible, it's really clear that worship is all of our life. The Apostle Paul probably puts it clearest in Romans 12. In view of God's mercy, in light of everything he's done for you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So worship's about all of life, And the Bible teaches us that God is interested in all of life. And so as we think about these psalms, which are sung by people in the context of worship, they're psalms that are helping us to think about how we live all of our life, which is why these are very, very significant. Here's a question I'm going to pop on the screen. I want you to reflect on it. Some of you might groan and go, that's a bit of a deep question for a Sunday morning. But think, really think about that question. What is your life's purpose? Sometimes we can live such frantic lives, so busy, we never really stop to think about what we're doing. We just do it. And we're on the rat run and it just happens. The next day starts and then finishes and the next day starts. What is your life's purpose? And as you try and answer that question, I suspect that three of the big contexts of your life in which this question has to be answered are work, security and family. By work, I don't mean paid employment, because not everyone is in paid employment. I mean what we spend the majority of our time doing. So that is all of us, because all of us spend the majority of our time doing something. Uh, Security, where do we find our security? Where do we place our security? And family, kind of how does that dynamic work? And it's interesting, you notice at the start of this psalm, it says, um, of Solomon, And you get that in a number of psalms. That can mean it's a psalm written by Solomon. It can also mean a psalm possibly about Solomon. But either way, 
this psalm is attributed to Solomon. He either wrote it or someone wrote it about him. But if you think about Solomon's life, consider his work, his security, and his family. You read in 1 Kings chapters 9 to 11 that that all came to ruin because perhaps he lost sight of this question that's on the screen behind me. What is his life's purpose? And so I asked you that question. I asked myself that question today. So let's consider work. Remember, not, not meaning paid employment, meaning what I spend the bulk of my time doing. So this applies to everyone, whether you're retired, at school, or in paid employment, or doing something else. Notice what the passage says. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house. What is the house that he's speaking of? It could mean all sorts of different things. But often in the Bible, house is used as a metaphor for God's people. So I want to ask us the question, is this what I give my time to building? Building up the people of God. Building God's kingdom. Or to put it another way, uh, is my life about my purposes or about God's purposes? Or to put it really in layman's terms, is the stuff that I'm focused on the stuff that God is focused on? Maybe that's what we should think about. Consider um, the Shard, the tallest building in London. Uh, I spent a bit of time a few years ago traveling into London every day um, for a course that I was on, and we would get off at London Bridge, and then we'd walk a little way, and we walked right past the Shah when it was being built. It was astonishing how quickly it was built. And every week I got there, and a new level had been put on, and it went up really, really fast. Well, can you imagine if you were employed by a seller property group who oversaw the building of this amazing building? If you were employed by them, imagine if you turned up your first day with a high-vis vest on and your hard hat, ready to build the Shard, along with all the other people. Can you imagine if on the first day, rather than turning up and reporting to your manager at the Shard, you walked across the road into Borough Market and you joined the fruit sellers and you started selling fruit? What would your boss in charge of your building bit of the Shard say to you when you're meant to be building this great building and you're selling fruit across the road? He'd think you're crazy and he'd probably tell you off. You're there to build the Shard, you're not there to sell fruit. Do you think sometimes God looks at our world looks at the people he created and says, you're meant to be building my kingdom. Your life's meant to be about my work. But you're across the road selling fruit. I'm not condoning selling fruit. It's a really important work and trade for those who do it. It's an illustration. Are we about God's work or are we about our work? Look at the passage as well. Building the house. Notice it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. So consider your life's purpose. Your life's purpose, the Bible says, is meant to be God's purpose. Or put it another way, God's purpose is meant to be your life's purpose. And so actually it's amazing, isn't it, to consider that you and the work that you do, in whatever sense work can be used, is really, really valuable to God. It doesn't say here, unless the Lord builds the house, it won't be built. It talks about builders building, and you and I have to build. We have to get to work. We have to do things with the time that we have. But here, we're not meant to be simply spectators. We're meant to be involved in the work that God has. There's no point sitting back and going, God is sovereign of the universe. It doesn't really matter what I do, because he's just going to do what he wants anyway. God wants us to be involved in his purposes. The gifts and talents he's given you, the time he's given you, the opportunities around you he's given you, he's given to you for a reason, and he wants you to build. 
But the question is, what are you building? Because we read here that it's perfectly possible for us to be builders who labor in vain. When you see that word vain there, don't think of vanity in the sense of Ecclesiastes, a little series we did um, a year or two ago. Um, Meaninglessness, breathiness. Remember the illustration of the bubbles? If I try and look in this world for meaning and identity and purpose and I grasp hold of it, the bubble's gone. That's not where I find my identity. Vanity here doesn't mean that sense of meaninglessness. It's used most else in the Bible to literally mean falsehood. So the writer is saying, don't be a builder who builds in vain or who builds falsehood, builds falsely, is involved in the wrong project, should be building the shard, but is selling fruit across in the market. That's the sense here. And so you get this little word, unless, at the beginning, which implies a decision, doesn't it? It implies you and I can build in vain, and we probably will, unless we recognize that we're building something else, and it's actually God's building we're building. And we should be building and not building in vain. Just consider that, and remember the context in which this psalm was first sung. The context is God's people going up to Jerusalem to worship. Worship is about all of life. God cares about all of life. Which means God really, really cares about what you and I do with the majority of our time. Now please hear this really, really clearly. I'm not in any sense suggesting every one of us should give up what we do and become a missionary or a pastor, as if there's some special spirituality about that kind of work, and the work that that God calls us to in other areas of life is sort of second rate. There's no sense in which that is true in the Bible. Whatever God has called you to matters to him, and is valuable to him, and is an act of spiritual worship, if we connect our work to him. See, it's perfectly possible to be a pastor or a missionary, but building our own kingdom, not building God's kingdom. It's not automatic. So the question here is not what do I do, but how do I do what I do? And the challenge in this psalm here is this. If I don't give myself to God's purposes, I'm not really living. I'm living my life in vain. So that's a a little challenge for you to think about. Am I about God's purposes in my life? What about the second one, security? Have a look down again. Unless the Lord watches over the city... The guards stand watch in vain. Again, that word unless, it implies there's a decision to make, doesn't it? There's an alternative. I can keep watch in vain, or God can watch over my life. And this little bit of the psalm is speaking about the full security that so many of us will search after. And it teaches us that actually there's no ultimate security found anywhere outside of God going to do something a little bit interactive. What I'd love us to do, and you need to shout out and help me with this. What are some of the things you fear? Just shout out some words. Here we go. Water. Thank you. Some people fear water. Failure. Keep going. Spiders. They have six legs, don't they? Eight. Tell you I didn't listen at school. Are you scared of hairy spiders or daddy long leg spiders? Who said that? I'm scared of hairy ones. There we go. We'll make them hairy. What else are you scared of? Fire. Yeah. Keep going. Snakes. What else are you scared of? Robbery. Okay. Keep going. 
tight spaces, there's a little box. Some people are scared of the dark. Good. Some people are scared of death. People are scared of being alone. Keep going. Heights. Good. Needles. A little syringe of sorts. Can't draw. Okay, it doesn't matter. We'll keep going. The point is, there's tons and tons of stuff that we can be scared of in life. We can be scared of being alone. We can be scared of all sorts of things. Emotional things, physical things. But as you look at that list, and you could add to that, as you think about your own heart, I'm sure there's things that weren't shouted out. Ask yourself this question. Where does your true security lie? Where does it lie at the end of the day? I know the theological answer, and I believe the theological answer, but really, where does my security lie? Because look at the passage. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards keep watch in vain. Here's a question for you. Do the guards have a role to play in keeping watch over the city? Yes, they do. Do you and I need to think about security in all the different senses? Do we need to make financial provision for the future? Yes. Do we need to consider our health? Yes. I'm going to Nigeria soon. Have I had to consider carefully the risks and write a long report for the trustees to have a look at and consider the places I will go and the places I won't go? Yes. It would be very stupid and naive just to say, well, God's in control, so it doesn't matter what I do. I could say that as I jump off a cliff. It's just stupid. Think about security in an ancient culture. A bit of a broad brushstroke, but but generally speaking, wealthy people would live inside the city walls. The peasants would be out in the fields. And when there's a war or there's danger, what would happen? People would come into the city. And what do the watchmen do? They stand on the ramparts and they keep watch. The enemy are coming. So when God's people were invaded by the Babylonians who were going to cart them off into exile, laid siege to the great city of Jerusalem, were there watchmen keeping watch over the city? Yes. Were they doing an important job? Yes. But did it ultimately keep them safe? No. Because God says in his word that he used the Babylonians and later the Assyrians as his chosen instrument to bring judgment on God's people. It didn't matter how much they kept watch because ultimately they weren't safe because they weren't trusting in God. And because they weren't trusting in God, God judged them and led them off into exile. See, the point this passage is teaching us, and it's a really important one, is... If my life is not watched over by God, I'm not truly safe. I'm not. Because who's the one who holds the keys to death? There's only one, and it's not a doctor, it's not a lawyer, it's not the person who looks after my money in the bank, it's not me. There's one person who holds my life in his hands, as we looked in Daniel last year, and it's the living God. And here's the question, do you really believe that? I suspect we will all nod along with me and say, theologically, I get that. He looks after my life. But do you really believe that? Maybe a little litmus test for whether or not you believe it is the next bit of the psalm. In vain, you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. The picture that is painted here by the psalmist is one of anxious toil, a kind of frantic restlessness. Of course, there are lots of legitimate demands and pressures in our life that leads to some of that frantic activity. I get that. But actually, a lot of it is caused by self, a drivenness to secure whatever it is in our life that we need to secure. Workaholism ultimately might be at least in part to do with security. 
Because actually I trust more in my pension and my bank balance than I trust in God. Overworking and the stress that comes with that could be that I trust more in, my, my identity is found more in the work that I do and the approval I get from other people than in the approval I get from God. But in contrast to this frantic, anxious toiling, you get this lovely little phrase, but God grants sleep to those he loves. Have you ever stopped to think about this amazing fact? God never sleeps because he's utterly self-sustaining. We are reliant upon God, which is why we have to stop. You could take a little baby Ariana, two days old. Imagine her curled up in her cot with her teddy or her cloth, totally innocent, needing her sleep. But then next to her is Anthony Joshua, the heavyweight champion of the world, boxer. He might be a colossal man when he walks and when he fights, but when his head hits the pillow and he falls asleep, is he not just the same as Ariana? He's just fragile, and he needs his sleep just as much as a baby might. We can live our lives as if we're Anthony Joshua, but at the end of the day, we're Ariana. We all need to sleep. And sleep is a tremendous gift from God, which is why... In the Old Testament, when God speaks about the principle of Sabbath, of rest, it's for our own good. Because when I rest, it forces me to trust. I don't work every hour that God gives me. Because God says, you need to rest. You are finite. I, God says, I'm infinite. You need to sleep, God says. But I do not. It's a challenge, isn't it? But it's worth asking ourselves the question, where is our security really found and is it in the living God and so to come back to that question what is your life's purpose I can build my city and I can keep watch over it but would it all have been worth it what is it that you're building and what is it that you place what you're building secure in because if it's not in God it won't last And how sad it would be to live the days of life that God gives us, however short or long they are, but to build in vain. If you feel convicted at this point, and I certainly have felt convicted preparing this week, don't beat yourself up, but come to the cross and say to God, I don't want to be about my project anymore. I don't want to be about me giving myself security anymore. Come to him and start tomorrow morning different. He's not going to beat you up for the wasted years. He's just going to delight that you want to give the rest of your years to building his project, building his kingdom. And just as we come to a close, look at the last few verses. It almost feels a bit strange, like a a kind of gear shift. I kind of get the building metaphor, I get the security stuff, but why now this stuff about the family? Uh, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him, and so forth. Well, in the ancient Near East, uh, children were very much more a sense of security for those who are growing older than perhaps today. We live in a very individualistic culture. In that culture, children were a particular blessing to be able to look after those who got that bit older, much more of a community sense. And so actually here, celebrating family and celebrating children is a really, really important thing. But the bigger point to ask is this. If a family, and we're going to think about what family means in a second, if a family is about God's project, it will lead to flourishing Because flourishing comes when we fulfill God's purposes in our life. It doesn't necessarily mean our life will be happier or easier. That's not what flourishing is about. But it's about giving the hours that God has given us to building something that will last. And this psalm teaches us that our life's purpose should be about building family. Our immediate family in which we live, it should be a real priority. 
but not just building comfort for our family or building memories for our family, as important as they are, but building family that is centered around the gospel and around the God who made us. I know there are complexities with that, with broken families or unequally yoked marriages, things like that. But where possible, that should be a real focus. But then think broader of that, family in the sense of the interdependency we ought to have for our wider family. It's a really important thing to consider. Am I seeking to build healthy family? Am I seeking to love my wider family? Often difficult relationships. Think broader still. Think about the communities in which we live. When someone asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And he made the point, your neighbor is anyone in your reach who is in need. How quick are we to reach out to those in need? But then think of it in the ultimate sense. The ultimate sense of family is God's family, his church. Not just Long Crendon Baptist Church, but his church. And ultimately, that is what God wants us to be building. Not just groups of people who meet on a Sunday to worship God, but groups of people who are centered around the God who made them and then sent out to fulfill their life's purposes. Because how we build has a profound impact on the next generation. And the best legacy that you could leave as a parent is a young, younger generation that knows and loves and fears the Lord. That is the thing that will change our nation and change the world. It's the greatest legacy you could leave as a parent. So as we come to a close, look again on the screen and ask yourself that question. What is your life's purpose? What is it you're building? Is it your little empire? Or is it God's kingdom and his purposes? Where is your security found? Is it in all the stuff we surround ourselves that gives us a full sense of security? Or is it ultimately in the God who says, I hold your life in my hands? And what is your life's business going to be about? Is it going to be about building relationships, a relationship around Jesus Christ, seeking to enable flourishing relationships for those around you and bring the gospel to those who don't yet know that they can enter into the relationship with the God who made him? And as you answer those questions, think about the Lord Jesus Christ, because what was his life's purpose? He tells us in John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And what was the Lord Jesus' work ultimately to do was to go to the cross, and we're going to celebrate shortly the Lord's Supper, remembering everything that Jesus Christ did. His life's work was to give up his life, to rescue us, to redeem us, so that we can have a purpose that's bigger than ourselves and that lasts long after ourselves. And so surely our life's purpose should be to live in response to his life's purpose. His life's purpose was to give himself away to serve others. And our life's purpose should be the same, to give ourselves away to serve the God who made us. Remember the Psalms of Ascent? Context, worship. Going up to Jerusalem to worship God. Worship is about all of life. All of life matters to God. And so whatever you do tomorrow morning, What matters is not what you're doing, but who you're doing it for and whose kingdom you're building as you live for him. I pray that tomorrow might be different because we're going to build his kingdom and we're going to rest in his security. Amen.